Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History. This is for the week of October 18th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a business that was a big part of my upbringing in Aiken, South Carolina. And this business was inherently tied to the video cassette recorder. That's right, the good old VCR. Hey, I bet you didn't know that the VCR had been developed way back in the 1950s. But there was one little problem. VHS tapes wouldn't be invented until the 1970s. But man, once the VHS format caught on and beat back the Betamax challenge, what a dominant ride they had. VCR devices began gaining mass market traction in the mid-70s. And then they really blew up in the 1980s. Just about every home in the United States had a VCR. The technology dominated for a couple of decades, but would ultimately be dethroned by DVD technology. In fact, the last VCR would be manufactured in 2016. I would submit to you that few companies would find a way to capitalize on the rise of the VCR and VHS tapes like Blockbuster did. I don't know about you, but as a kid, Other than, say, school and church, I spent more time in our blockbuster, it seemed, than just about anywhere else. And the business story behind the big blue and yellow brand is fascinating. While our time here today won't do the full story justice, I am going to offer up five things you didn't know about blockbuster here today on This Week in Business History. Stay tuned for a few intriguing aspects about the blockbuster story. And if I could ask you for a simple favor, I sure would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from. Again, we appreciate your support. So let's dive into this week in business history, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. So let's start our list of five things you didn't know about Blockbuster. Let's start with the company's beginnings. David Cook was an aspiring entrepreneur. He had created a company that intended to sell software services to the oil and gas industry, but it was not successful. While David was pursuing that business, his wife Sandy became enamored with the growing video rental business right there in the early 1980s. She would convince her husband to take a closer look at this upstart business sector. And David did just that. He sold his software business and made the decision to buy into a video rental franchise in Dallas, Texas. 
It was called VideoWorks. But one small problem, VideoWorks wouldn't allow David to really make his franchise his own. In particular, the company didn't let David rework the branding inside his store to incorporate the blue and yellow colors that he was so fond of. So David Cook would leave that franchise, and because he and Sandy were so sure of the potential of the video rental industry, they'd build their own video rental store. Right there and then, Blockbuster was created, and the first store would open on October 19, 1985. And according to David Cook, it went gangbusters from the start. He was quoted by CNN Money as saying, quote, The first night we were so mobbed, we had to lock the doors to prevent more people from coming in, end quote. So let's move on to item number two on our list. Just how did Blockbuster grow from that one store in Dallas, Texas, to become a global phenom and juggernaut? Well, for starters, it's important to note a few things about what fueled Blockbuster's early success. David Cook, you gotta know, was a technologist, very skilled at building and managing massive databases. And he also observed the need for better selection than his video rental store competitors. Now, if you're a child of the 1980s like I am, you can probably remember going to your local video rental store in the early days. For me, that would be a Video World store way back before Blockbuster came to town. And they might have two or three copies of the latest releases, right? The movies you really wanted, the new ones. And it would almost always be rented. Those, those new latest releases, they were always not on the shelves, right? So you'd have to choose an alternative for your weekend. David Cook saw that and decided right away to create an inventory of some 8,000 tapes, which was far more than his competitors. He'd then place a magnetic strip or barcode on each tape so his team could track the inventory. Blockbuster would also be amongst the first video rental stores to use a barcode membership card, you know, keeping better track of who's got what. It also helped streamline those transactions when you're ready to check out. And one other thing, David Cook wanted to create a strong family environment, so Blockbuster would not carry any pornographic material. All of these things, and sheer demand, would create lots of growth for the startup. The Blockbuster experience for the customer was just so much different than experiences elsewhere. So less than a year after the first store opened, Cook would add three additional stores. But one important constraint would make further growth very difficult. David Cook needed money. Thus, in February 1987, David Cook sold a third of the company to three investors that had all spent time together at Waste Management Incorporated. One of the three names may well ring a bell for you, Wayne Hazinga. Not only did he start Waste Management, but he also founded AutoNation. In addition to owning the Miami Dolphins, the now Miami Marlins, and a lot more. Wayne and his team would dramatically change the path of Blockbuster moving forward. As part of the deal, David Cook gave up management control of the company. And with that, just two months after the partnership began, Cook would leave the company with about $20 million. And you know what happens next, right? Wayne Hazinga and his team built the behemoth from there 
and the growth was remarkable. In those early years, they are opening one store every 24 hours. In 2004, which most folks consider to be Blockbuster's peak, there were over 9,000 stores and over 84,000 company employees. Let's talk about the third item on our list of five things you didn't know about Blockbuster, those dadgum late fees. So contrary to popular opinion, those late fees weren't focused on getting customers to bring back a videotape so that it could be rented again. Nope, it was a revenue play. So get this, in 2000, Blockbuster drew about 16% of its revenue, some 800 million bucks from late fees alone. So that's the upside, right? But the downside is how those late fees not only aggravated customers, it also helped to inspire a little company known as Netflix to get started. It's been said that Reed Hastings, co-founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Netflix, well, he had rented a copy of the movie Apollo 13 way back before Netflix was a thing. And hey, it's a great movie, as we all know. Tom Hanks is superb as Jim Lovell, the astronaut. Well, Reed Hastings must have watched it dozens of times because he returned the tape to Blockbuster some six weeks late. And it's been said that he was shocked at the late fees he had just racked up. So evidently, that was part of Reed Hastings' inspiration for starting up Netflix, where folks could keep movies for as long as they like without incurring any late fees. Up next at number four on our list, we're going to be sticking with the blockbuster Netflix competition. For some of our listeners that may not know, when Netflix launched in 1998, Blockbuster ruled the video rental market. Blockbuster had been in business for about 13 years. Just two years into the company's existence, according to various accounts, Netflix was in position to be acquired by Blockbuster for $50 million in 2000. But Blockbuster didn't pull the trigger. The deal did not take place. And the rest is largely history that we all know. Blockbuster went out of business and Netflix is now worth around some $230 billion. In a fun anecdote from 2005, when Blockbuster and Netflix were fiercely competing with one another, Reed Hastings with Netflix was on a conference call with analysts, and he was asked about the cutthroat competition between the two companies. Hastings proceeded to talk about some of the various multitude of ways that Blockbuster was trying out in the marketplace to win in the video rental war versus Netflix. Hastings then said that Blockbuster was throwing everything at his company that they could, except the kitchen sink. So as the story goes, the very next day after this conference call, Reed Hastings got a delivery to his office. Yeah, you guessed it. It was a kitchen sink sent to him personally by the Blockbuster CEO at that time, John Antiaco. And finally, Coming in at number five on our list of five things you didn't know about Blockbuster, there's still one store in operation. So as you may know, Blockbuster's operations all began to unravel in 2010 when the company de declared bankruptcy. And just a few days later in 2014, all corporate owned stores were closed. But that wasn't all Blockbuster stores. The company had engaged in a variety of deals that involved franchising here in the US and around the world. 
Some of the final holdouts would be in Alaska and Australia. But eventually, come 2019, slow business and competition would claim those stores too. And that meant there was just one last remaining blockbuster store still fighting the good fight. Where is that, you might be wanting to know? Well, that store would be in Bend, Oregon, the largest city in Central Oregon, home of the Bend Bulletin newspaper, the Bend Elks of the West Coast Collegiate Baseball League, and the Lava City Roller Dolls, which is part of the Women's Flat Track Roller Derby League. Bend is also home to the very last blockbuster store. Owned by Ken and Debbie Tischer, and managed by Sandy Harding. And heads up, if you're a big fan of quirky documentaries like I am, check out The Last Blockbuster, which tells the very interesting story of both Blockbuster and that last remaining store in Bend, Oregon. It's available, where else would it be? On Netflix, of course. Well, that just about does it for this week's episode of This Week in Business History. We only scraped the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the intriguing story that Blockbuster poses. But I sure hope you enjoyed these five aspects of that story that I shared here today. Now, with that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. This is Scott Luton urging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.